Whatever you do, don't call it a crisis. And whatever you do, don't use the word that the minister used to use, illegal. And don't question where the money will come from. In fact, just don't question Justin Trudeau's federal liberal government on anything to do with the border. You'll be called racist, un-Canadian, lots of nasty names. And there is no problem at the border. That is the message that we keep being told in public. And yet a letter to the immigration section of the Canadian Bar Association warns that, in fact, the current system is not sustainable. This letter, by the way, written by our current immigration minister, Ahmed Hassan. He wrote, without changes to improve efficiency and productivity of the asylum process, wait times and backlogs will only continue to grow. The situation is not sustainable, nor is it fair to the people who need Canada's protection. This story showing up in the National Post over the weekend. I want to bring on Chris Alexander to uh, to talk about this with us for a while, who, in addition to having extensive experience in uh, foreign affairs, being Canada's uh, youngest ambassador in Afghanistan, having uh, just an incredible resume, was also an MP for a very long time. And the cabinet minister, the minister of immigration from July 2013 until that fateful day when uh, the Trudeaus took over. Uh, Mr. Alexander, thanks for the time this morning. Pleasure to be with you, Brian. It's an uh, 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 important issue. Well, it's one that we should have a full debate on, a full discussion. And as is often the case, I've been covering immigration for a very long time, and there was a period where we could debate it, and that's you know when when you and your predecessor, Jason Kenney, were in charge. But I remember a time, and I, I said this to, to Jason before he ever took on the file, when the liberals were still in, I said, it seems like the only question we can ask about the immigration system is how many more and how much faster can we bring people yeah. in? And I, I don't think that's any healthier than saying, how fast can we shut down the border? Neither it is a healthy discussion. Exactly. This government has been saying there's no problem at the border, and now the minister is saying the current system's not sustainable. As someone that used to run the system, how do you read uh, Ahmed Hussein's letter? Well, it's an odd letter because of who it's going to and its kind of furtive nature, uh, while at the same time there are a couple of very – in other words, it wasn't a public letter. Um, at the same time, there are couple of statements in it that are that are really blunt um, and honest uh, and I think we all agree that the situation is not sustainable let's be clear when we left office uh, early November you know technically when we new ministers were sworn in um, at the end of 2015 these are statistics we have there were un- still under 10,000 asylum seekers in the backlog waiting to have their hearing uh, and that was too much. We were trying to bring it down. But now, fast forward to March of this year, not now, March. So the numbers have gone up in, since then. Uh, the number is over 50,000. So in less than two and a half years, quintupled numbers in the backlog. And that is unsustainable. You know, if we were to quintuple again in another two and a, years and a few months, that would be 250,000. Um Absolutely unsustainable. But what is surprising about the letter is that he says, basically, without more efficiency from the system, uh, this is going to happen. Well, you can't make 
the same resources that they have been putting into the Immigration and Refugee Board work so efficiently that they will reduce this backlog. It needs new resources. That's the only way to come to terms with this. And it also needs a new approach to the border. And that's what your intro was all about. <laughs> the, the, the approach they've taken is basically a total abdication of responsibility. And so that's why I've had some people saying to me that statement without changes to improve efficiency and productivity of the asylum process. And they said, well, they are putting a lot more money into it, although I think in the wrong places. Um, they're just trying to manage a crisis while claiming it's not a crisis. People are asking me, though, does that statement, without changes to improve efficiency and productivity, does that mean that they're just going to say, you know what, asylum for everyone. We'll just, across the board, forget about going through a, a process. You're in. I think there are some in this government that clearly want that and clearly welcome the sense of chaos uh, which forces people to choose just between the well-being of fellow human beings and, uh, you know, doing nothing. Um, they think that that choice will help them. But the law states otherwise. And Canadians, I think, overwhelmingly want an approach that is fair, compassionate, rule-based, uh, and much faster, without backlogs. It's not fair to make people wait two years. Some, est- some estimates have said it could be as many as 11. That was a staff estimate at one point, if yeah, these numbers be. continue. But, but it's also, I mean, we all agree, liberals, conservatives, many who are nonpartisan, that the asylum system worldwide is due for a major revamp. I mean, look at Europe, look at the United States, look at other places. Um, there, there are pressures and there are paradoxes in that system that need to be overcome. That's a much larger discussion. We've made, some of us in Canada, are put forward our ideas. Neil Yates, who was my deputy minister and um, Jason's deputy minister before me, uh, put forward some ideas for our immigration system. I think Ahmed Hussein's letter is talking a bit about that, but that's going to take years. And in the meantime, if you look at Neil Yates's report, which is online on the immigration website, uh, you will see that while this backlog has been growing, the resources dedicated to the Immigration and Refugee Board by this government have remained the same. They're, I think they're even slightly less okay, than 2015. So they're, they're not putting in resources for hearings then, but they've got RCMP officers on a perpetual cycle. If you're a bilingual RCMP officer in eastern Canada, you're being sent to that border for a, a rotation and then you go home. And then you're sent back. And that's been going on for a year and a half. That has to cost an incredible amount of money. We've put up a new building. We've put up a tent city to house 500 people at St. Bernard de de la Colle. We've got 800 Canada Border Service agencies seconded from the GTA to this area. Um, We've got hundreds of millions of dollars going into housing people in hotels and dormitories and Band-Aid solutions. And yet we're not giving them a hearing any faster. How far, how fast are you supposed to get a refugee hearing back when you were running the system? Because I know that um, the, that you were involved with uh, with reforming what had been a, a broken system before. So how was it supposed to work? Well, it was starting to work very well, thanks to the reforms you mentioned uh, that were brought in in Jason's time, but were still being implemented in my time. Um 
and every asylum seeker is supposed to have a hearing within two months, within 60 days. And those 60 days? From, so, 60 days. That's the law. So this government is actually flagrantly uh, in violation of its own law, of Canada's law. They could have changed the law if they'd wanted this different outcome, but they certainly haven't done that. Um, and, you know, another problem arises. When the waiting time starts to be two years, maybe it'll be three years by now, and, and you mentioned this much longer uh, estimate that someone's put forward of 11 years, that means the people, when they wait, get uh, the right to work, they get um, housing in some cases, they will get health care, and it gives an incentive for some people who would otherwise be waiting in a queue for a different economic pathway to immigration, or even a different refugee asylum pathway to immigration, to take this dangerous route, because they know that they will get services and benefits that they would not get by following the rules, by staying in the category that, to which they actually belong, that's actually intended for them. They will instead walk across the border at Sabanalacal or somewhere else, Roxham Road, and uh, have the benefits that Canadian, for which Canadian taxpayers are footing the bill for years and years, more or less guaranteed. Uh, that's, again, the kind of perverse logic, the kind of perverse incentive that undermines the integrity of our immigration system. Uh, and it creates this uh, magnetic power of attraction for people to actually uh, leave aside the rule-based system that we have, the program-based, points-based system, which is renowned around the world, the best in the world, uh, and, and try, you know, game the system by, by coming another way. Now, we have to understand, and this is another debate, that the situation on the border is paradoxical. It is illegal to cross the border, the signs say so, uh, when you're not at a point of entry, you know, to walk across a mm -hmm. field or a forest. At the same time, we are parties to these humanitarian conventions on refugees, governing asylum, and so forth which mean that people who have a legitimate fear of persecution uh, are allowed to break the rules and are allowed uh, to make asylum claims in these unorthodox ways. And, you know, this is maybe a debate for another day, Brian, but I don't think anyone would argue that the immigration system in the United States now is at its best or that the situation there is normal. Uh, they, no, uh, but, but granted that, Upstate New York is still a place that I would flee to, not from. Having me too. Me having too. been to Bye. the area that uh, that people are coming across at, I, I want to ask you though about. You, let, you, me, let me just finish. Okay, that, go ahead. That that exchange though. If I were a Somali in America, uh, whose president has said anyone of my nationality uh, doesn't need to just go home, they will never get a visa to come to this country. And I know that if I go home to Somalia, I, you know, my family's under threat. Al-Shabaab is after me. The United States is not going to protect me. And I agree that's probably a relatively small percentage of the people who are coming across the border. But we have obligations uh, under these conventions that we should be upholding when the United States is not, in my view. I do want to ask you about economic migrants abusing this system, though, because sure. um, at one point the... Uh, 
the number one group coming across were Haitians, and then it was Somalis, and then it was Nigerians, and and it changes based on on different patterns, including I think uh, human smugglers that are or quote unquote consultants that yeah. are paid to get people into Canada. Yeah. We've got folks that were coming in from Nigeria, flying into JFK, then getting on shuttle services that would drop them off. That, to me, says it's organized, says that it's more economic, says that someone is making money off this and selling a dream. And and that's another one of those issues where if you question the government on it, they just, well, they'll denounce you as racist and anti-immigrant and no, wait a minute. We've got an immigration system and a refugee system designed to help people fleeing persecution, not fleeing for a better paycheck, mm. which we can all understand and which you know, my family did. But mm. there, there's one route that you take to get the better paycheck and one route that you take to flee persecution. That's right. And, and the only fair solution for educated Nigerians who are competing with uh, people around the world who want to come to Canada as economic migrants, uh, the only fair way to treat them is to have them come through express entry, a much faster system for bringing economic immigrants to Canada that is very successful. Listen, I'm very proud that the fastest growing source continent for immigrants to Canada in our time in office was Africa, because Africans, there's so many talented Africans educated we see them in our hospitals we see them in our universities we see them and they're from nigeria and dozens of other countries mm-hmm. uh, and they were competing against americans and irish citizens and chinese and indians to come to canada and they come here because they have more points because they do better uh, circumventing that process by allowing economic migrants who can afford the price of a plane ticket across the Atlantic uh, to walk across the border and make an asylum claim when they're not actually facing persecution uh, is, is, is actually anti-immigration because it undermines support for our programs. You know, we've seen it. In our time in office, it was over 50%. People wanted the same numbers. Some wanted fewer. Quite a few people wanted a little bit more as long as the economy held up, which it certainly was doing. Uh, now we're down, you've read the number. Uh, 36%. Yeah, almost 20% less. And that's because of the perception of unfairness, the perception of people taking advantage, the perception of the rules being flouted. And and I, I really don't think there's any excuse for that. Money oh. should be flowing into the Immigration and Resource, uh, Immigration Refugees Board to let them deal with this backlog. The people shouldn't be walking across the border. I think we should be hearing their claims at uh, accepting their claims at points of entry uh, and sending those who are convicted criminals back or who whose claims have failed in Canada in the past back, uh, but then processing them quickly. And as soon as you process it, like the system should take care of an economic migrant from Nigeria who's not facing persecution, their asylum claim should be refused. Um, but if it takes three years, you can have a lot of people end up in Canada under false pretenses, under false assumptions. And that's a, a disaster all the way down the line for the reasons we've been discussing. All right. Uh, Chris, thanks for the time this morning. 
Pleasure, Brent. All the best. Chris Alexander, former uh, immigration minister from 2013 to 2015, joining us on the line. Extended conversation. I'm going to have to send him a note saying thank you.